Good morning. Greetings in Christ's name this morning. As many of you know, the last time that I preached about, um, I preached about the Holy Spirit. The title last time was The Promise of the Holy Spirit. This morning, I want to speak about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. As I said before, there are so many different teachings about this subject that people get confused when this subject is discussed. In my observation, people would rather depend on their experiences, on their feelings, than read and study what the Word of God says. There are some people that don't that say they don't need the Bible because they have the Holy Spirit. That is far from the truth. Another reason why we may get confused about this subject is because we are not grateful for what we do have, the Holy Spirit living inside each one of us, compared to longing for a certain spiritual experience so that we can supposedly feel more spiritual. Satan wants us to be discontent with the Christian life that we do have. And I'm not talking about being settled in our Christian life that we don't grow. We need to grow in our Christian life. But we need to be on guard for this discontentment that comes from Satan. If you remember the last time that I preached, I said that the Holy Spirit is promised and given only to those who have given their life to Christ, those who are born again. Also, how we will have another comforter exactly as if Jesus is walking right beside us here on this earth. We also talked about how we can know how we have the Holy Spirit. We can know by the fruit in our lives. So what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life? What does he do that is different now that we are Christians compared to when we were not Christians? I'm going to go down through and speak about the different purposes of the Holy Spirit that we can see in Scripture. And I know I won't cover near all of them. There's many more than what I will cover this morning. Is the PowerPoint not on, Mark? It's not. Do I need to do something? There you go. So one purpose that we have for the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit can be that we can be baptized by the Holy Spirit. When we think about spirit baptism, what does it mean? Spirit baptism is a one time event. It doesn't happen multiple times, but once. It is also not a second-hand experience that happens to you after we are converted. It is also something that isn't commanded in Scripture, that we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us. We don't need, we don't in some way go get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us as Christians. The word to be baptized means to be overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the Spirit in this case. Another word that we can use is to be overpowered. We are overpowered by the Holy Spirit. 
When did this baptism, the spirit baptism, occur in the life of the believers in the Bible? The baptism of the Spirit did not start in the Old Testament. We didn't ha- they didn't have that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they didn't experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit like us as Christians do today. People were given only a portion of the Holy Spirit so that they could accomplish the tasks that God called them to do. For example, Moses had a certain measure of the Holy Spirit when he led the children of Israel out of the wilderness. Then when Moses needed help to lead the people, God took that portion of spirit that Moses had and gave it to 70 other men. So the portion that Moses had of the spirit was divided into 71 parts. And you can find that story in Numbers 11. Elijah had a portion of the Holy Spirit that was later doubled to Elisha. And John the Baptist had the same portion of the Spirit that Elijah had. These people, these men in the Old Testament, did not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were not overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. They only had a portion, a certain measure of the Holy Spirit. So where did it start? When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized by water, he prophesied about the Spirit baptism Matthew 3:11 I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear he shall baptize you with the holy ghost and with fire the words he shall baptize you is spoken in a future tense it is something that hasn't happened yet And each of the Gospels say the same thing, that Jesus shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit in in the future sense. If you go to Acts 1, and this is when Jesus ascended up into heaven, before Jesus ascended up into heaven, Jesus told them, his disciples, that they should stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise from the Father. Acts 1.5, it says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And we can see in that verse in Acts 1.5 that the coming of the Holy Spirit is not far away for the apostles. It is just around the corner. So if we go into the next chapter in Acts 2, we can see the effect that the baptism of the Holy Spirit had on the disciples. I want to read Acts 2, 1-4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were, sit- where they were sitting And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The disciples were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Because they had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God used them to speak in another tongue so that they could minister to others. Also, so that it was a sign to others, it showed the people that there was something different that happened to the, to the disciples that proved the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it also proved that it came from God. All right, here we go. So the way that we can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit here today is spelled out in John 7. And I touched on this last time, and I won't spend a whole lot of time there. But I'm going to read verses 37 and 38 of John 7. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. There are some conditions that we see here that needs to be met in order to receive the Spirit's baptism. How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You need to thirst. You need to come to Jesus. You need to drink. And you need to believe on Jesus. And we see the results in those verses. The result is that we will have rivers of living water. When Jesus said this, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. Another purpose of the Holy Spirit is so that he can fill us. So that he can fill us. We can find where the Holy Spirit wants to fill us in Ephesians 5.18. Maybe you can turn there a while. Ephesians 5.18. And it says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is different than the baptism of the Spirit. This verse isn't necessarily a gift like the baptism, but it's a command that we be filled with the Spirit. We can see that it's also the present tense form. We are to be filled with the Spirit right now. And from the Greek, it would translate to say, keep on being filled with the Spirit. This is a daily process. This is not a one-time event in our lives. Our first experience of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is only the beginning of a lifelong battle to stay filled with the Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I know I have gotten the picture to be filled with the Spirit is like filling up a cup of water or whatever, but that is not necessarily what it is, what it means. It's not filling yourself up with something that you already have or that you don't have, but when we, like I said, when we are born again, we have the Holy Spirit. So when we think about being filled of something, there are different ways that we can be filled with something, especially that the Bible talks about. Jesus was filled with wisdom as he was growing up. People were filled with wrath when they heard Jesus preach in Luke 4. The disciples were filled with sorrow in John 16 because Jesus was going to leave them. For each one of these people that were filled with something, whether it was wisdom, wrath, or sorrow, it caused them to do things or to act 
in a certain way than what they did before. To be filled with the Spirit means to be carried along by the gracious pressure of the Holy Spirit, guiding and directing us each step of the way in life. And I want to point out, it is a pressure that causes you to go in the direction that the Holy Spirit wants you to go. To be totally under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And still think about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 3.16 is a parallel passage to Ephesians 5. And it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. To be spirit-filled is letting the word of God dwell in you richly. It is living in obedience to God's word. And this is how we get our direction every day in the daily decisions that need to be made. It's through the Word of God. And I believe this is foundational. If you receive a word from someone or you feel the Spirit is telling you something that is contrary to the Word of God, you're not walking, you're not being led by the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. When we think about being filled with the Holy Spirit... When Jesus was going into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, in the Gospel of Luke, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. But in Mark, it says that the Spirit drove him. It drove him out into the wilderness. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are driven by the Spirit. There are a couple of examples that illustrate one who is filled with the Spirit. And we can see the example in Ephesians 5 about a person that gets drunk with wine. The wine is controlling the person, causing him to do things that he would not otherwise be doing. Another example is a sailboat. The wind moves the sail, sailboat along. It carries the sailboat along to its destination. Another example that we can see in everyday life is a stick floating downstream. <clears throat> the stick is under the, the control of the current. So it's a person who is filled with the Spirit. He is under, con- under the control of the Spirit. He is full of the Spirit. He is being moved by the Spirit. This is something that we need to do daily We can't do it one time, and we are good to go for the rest of our lives. We need to remember that we are still on this earth, and our selfish and fleshly nature wants to creep up and take control of our life. The more that we die to ourselves, the more room that the Holy Spirit has to take control of our lives. It is up to you and me if we want to be filled with the Spirit or not. The question is, will we? Galatians 5, 16 to 18, it says, This I say then. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. 
We are to walk in the Spirit. Our Christian life is not a sprint. It is a daily walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is a journey. Our flesh and the Spirit are contrary one to another. They are against each other. When we walk in the Spirit, it automatically excludes walking in the flesh. To walk in the Spirit is to have a daily habit of continual obedience to the Holy Spirit. There is no room in the Christian life to stay put, to rest from a Christian life. We need, but we need to daily walk in the Spirit. We are to keep moving in the enabling power and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So what is the result of one who is filled with the Spirit? If you look at Ephesians 5, What is the result of one who is filled with the Spirit? When we are filled with the Spirit, the results are not necessarily doing miracles and speaking in tongues. If that is the case, then none of us are filled with the Spirit here today, or at least I'm not, because I don't do miracles. It doesn't come naturally for me. Paul gives us the results of the Spirit-filled life here in Ephesians 5, and I wasn't aware of this, until just recently. If you look down through it. I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the, with the Spirit. And we see the results of the Spirit-filled life in the next couple of verses. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So what are the results of one who is spirit-filled? One is praising the Lord in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And this is something that comes from our hearts, comes from within. One who is spirit-filled is always praising the Lord. The second one is one who is giving thanks for all things unto God. A spirit-filled person is thankful. He doesn't murmur and complain. He's not just thankful when things are going well, but in all things he is thankful. He notices the continual blessings that come from God. Another sign a result of one who is spirit-filled is submitting yourselves one to another. And this word, submitting, is a Greek word. Um, in, the, in the Greek, is a military term means to arrange troops or divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. And in a non-military use, it is a voluntary attitude of giving in assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. It is giving of ourselves for the sake of others, not because they deserve it, but we do it in the fear of God. So who all is doing the submitting? And many times we associate 
submission to the women, but it's way more than that. Who, who are doing the submitting? <clears throat> submitting yourselves to wives, submit to your husbands. <clears throat> Just like the church is subject to the Christ, to Christ, wives submit to your husbands. Another person that is submitting is husbands loving your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. Another thing we see in Ephesians 6, children obey their parents. Another sign that we see of a spirit-filled person of submission is Fathers, provoking not your children to anger. Another one is servants, employees, obeying their masters or employers. And another one is masters, employers, treat your servants and employees the same way that you would like to be treated. All these is a list of those of whom are supposed to be submitting to one another. And this is a sign of a spirit-filled life. So as we think about um, the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit, there is difference between the two. And I want to go through um, the list there. What is the difference between the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit? One, we see it happens, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens once compared to it can happen many times in our lives. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is a past event. The filling of the Spirit, is, it is for obedient Christians. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is never commanded. And the filling of the Spirit is that we are commanded that we should follow. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a positional truth, where we are in Christ. And the filling of the Holy Spirit, it is experiential and practical. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, it, take, it places the believer in the body of Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit and enables the believer to, be, to live for Christ. <clears throat> in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is when the Holy Spirit is resident um, in my life. In the filling of the, sport, of the Holy Spirit, is when the Holy Spirit is president of my life. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, it brings into union with Christ and other believers. The filling of the Holy Spirit, it brings about communion. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is identification with Christ. Filling of the Holy Spirit is fellowship with Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an instantaneous act of God at salvation. And the filling of the Holy Spirit, it is repeated experience when a believer is fully yielded. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is a single act of placing us into the body of Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is the diverse ministry in helping believers serve the body of Christ. Another purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And we see this in John 16, where Norman read, 8 to 11. What does the word reprove mean? It means to bring conviction 
to bring shame, to be exposed and brought to the light so that they have no cloak for their sin. Like it says in John 15, their sin is exposed. The world will see the error of their ways. The word uh, reprove is like in a courtroom when the evidence is found, the person is found guilty. He is convicted of his crime. Notice it says that the Holy Spirit will reprove the world. How will this be done? We had said the last time that the world cannot receive the Spirit of truth and that He doesn't dwell with the unbelievers. And we can see that in John 14. We also said that the Holy Spirit dwells in believers. Where do we as believers live? We live here on the earth. We dwell with the ungodly people here on the earth. Which the world means the ungodly people that are against God. Every day, we, the people that have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, go to school with the ungodly. We go to work with the ungodly. We go shopping with the ungodly. We are even neighbors with the ungodly. Us as Christians, because of the Holy Spirit living within us, will, re- will reprove, will convict the life that person sees in a Christian life, will convict, will expose and bring to light the condition that the world is in because of their sin. It is also done through the preaching or reading of the Word of God. When God's Word is being preached and proclaimed or read, it should bring conviction into a person's life. There are three things that he will convict, that he will expose, that he will reprove the world for. <clears throat> he will expose them of their sin. Sin means to miss the mark, to wander from the path of righteousness. What is the cause of their sin? The cause of their sin is unbelief. They didn't believe in Jesus. That is what led them to their sin. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is so foundational for the Christian. If we try to come to Christianity in any other way besides believing in Jesus, are we for sure Christians? John 3.16 and also verse 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In verse 18, he says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. When Noah built the ark, he believed God for what he said, that he promised it was going to rain, about destroying the earth with a flood. His belief in God didn't stop him with that. He then acted upon his belief. If he didn't believe in God and what he said, most likely, high chance, he wouldn't have built an ark. Another thing that the Holy Spirit exposes them is of their righteousness. What is our righteousness like? In Isaiah 64, it says that we are all unclean. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, 
and our iniquities have taken us away just like the wind. There is nothing that we can do in our strength that will produce righteousness. The only person who was considered righteous by his own strength is Jesus. And because of that, he was able to go to God. We cannot go to God by our own righteousness. The righteousness righteousness that we get is found only through Christ by believing in him, by having faith in him, like it says in Romans 3 and 4. Another thing that he will expose or convict is he will expose them of judgment. If we continue in our sin, if we continue to rebel against God, we will not be able to escape the judgment of damnation. Judgment is coming. We will not escape. The master of this world is already judged. How do we escape? How do we expect to escape that judgment? These three things are exposed in our lives so that it it can prick our hearts and cause us to change. This is the work or one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit. Another purpose of the Holy Spirit is so that he guides us into all truth. There are a couple different times that the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth, the one who knows the truth, he dwells with us. There are a couple of verses that speak about the Holy Spirit speaking truth that are found in John 14 to 16. John 14, 26, it says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. John 15, 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And the verses that Norman read, John 16, 13 to 15, it says, Howbeit, when the, he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you all things, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive a mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take a mine and shall show it unto you. Jesus was leaving his disciples, and they knew it. Jesus had spent the past three years of his life teaching the disciples the truth, the things of God. And if we look through the old through the New Testament, um, after the life of Jesus, we see that different other disciples wrote books in the Bible, like Matthew, Mark, or Matthew, John, and Peter. These disciples also had the responsibility of leading and starting churches. How did these men remember everything that Jesus taught them to make sure what they preached about was accurate truth? If they were anything like me, they would forget the things that Jesus has said. But they had the Holy Spirit in their lives to remind them what Jesus told them so that they could remember what Jesus said to them while he was here on the earth so that they could write the books in the Bible that were true 
and also so that they could preach the truth. <clears throat> and this wasn't only done to the, to the disciples, but to all the writers of the Bible. They were moved by the Holy Spirit so that they could write the Scriptures. Doesn't the word moved sound like someone who is filled with the Spirit? They were moved by the Holy Spirit. First Peter 1 10 to 11, it says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. These writers had the Spirit of Christ, or the Holy Spirit, as they wrote. They were led to write about the sufferings of Christ long before it happened. <clears throat> and also, 2 Peter 1, 19-21, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but... Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We can see again that the prophets spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who moved them to write in the Scriptures. And how accurate is it that the Holy Spirit moved them to write? It is sure. Not only is it sure, but it's a more sure word of prophecy. Not only because they were eyewitnesses of the, of the majesty of Jesus, but because they were moved by the Spirit. The word sure means that it is something that is firm. It is stable. It won't move. <clears throat> who does the Spirit talk about or who does He move to talk about? The Holy Spirit doesn't talk about Himself. And we see that in John 15, the verses that are read. The conversation isn't about him. He doesn't move men to talk about himself. All that he talks about is Jesus. He testifies of Jesus. The subject is about Jesus. What does John call Jesus in John 1? He calls him the Word. As we see in Hebrews 1, God has spoken to us through his Son, Jesus is the revelation of God. He is revealed, Jesus is revealed to us through the Bible, through the Scriptures. When we read what men have written who are filled with the Holy Ghost, we can see Jesus. And not just the New Testament, but all of the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit only testifies of Jesus. And the same Holy Spirit that moved the men to write the Scriptures, is the same Holy Spirit who lives within us as believers. The Holy Spirit will comfort us with the words of the Scriptures. He will show us Jesus through the words of the Scriptures. He will show us what is true amidst all the lies that we hear today through the words of the Scriptures. And He will also lead us in the way that we should go in our lives in other words, find the will of God in my life through the words of the Scriptures. 
Another purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower us. To empower us. He gives us the power to do ministry. He gives us the power to live a holy life. The word power is the same word that we get dynamite from. That power is given to each one of us to live the Christian life. There are some verses that I want to read that speak about the power given to us through the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1.3 According as His divine power had given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, we are given all that we need to live the Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And also Acts 1.8 It says the power but he, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit gives us power to do ministry. He equips us to work. I want to look a little bit at the power He gives us to do ministry. Jesus said that when we receive the Holy Spirit that you shall be witnesses of me. This effort is not done by just one person, especially this morning. I believe it's a group effort how we can um, be a witness to the world around us, even this morning. I'm not the only one here, like I said this morning, who is proclaiming the gospel message. There are many people who are involved with helping the message get out this morning. And I want to recognize these people. We have the janitor who opens the door and controls the temperature. The janitor is someone that is very important in helping to proclaim the message. We have the ushers that control the seating. We have men that control the sound, who record and put it on CD and on YouTube. We also have the song leader. We have the choir, which is everyone who helps in the singing. There are the Sunday school teachers, the superintendent, the one who has devotions. We are all in this together this morning to proclaim the gospel message to all the world. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit within us that helps us to do that. And may I just encourage each one of you in whatever position you hold here at church, whether it's on Sunday morning or throughout the week, allow the Holy Spirit to give you the power and the strength that you need to effectively get the gospel out to others by doing what you're called here in the church. I'm going to look at the verse John 14:12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater, greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Many times people get confused that this verse is talking about miracles, that we will do greater miracles than what Jesus did. But if we look at the life of Jesus, what is a greater work or miracle that we can do than he did? What miracle can we do that is greater than raising someone from the dead? Or calming the sea after a violent storm? Or healing someone a couple miles away? If you think about this, each one of these miracles were temporary. When, La- when Lazarus was raised from the dead, there was a time that he had to die again. 
do you suppose the sea never had a violent storm again? The nobleman's son, he was healed from a distance. He most likely got sick again. I believe when we are preaching to a loss, when we are preaching the gospel to a lost and dying world, that is the greater work that can be done through the aid of the Holy Spirit. When we preach, when we preach the word of God, what effect does it have on a person? If they hear and believe, they move from stumbling in the dark to walking in the light. They move from being lost to being found. And this miracle isn't a temporary. It, when we place our faith in, faith in Jesus Christ, when people's lives are changed, it is something that is eternal. They are changed. And we, if we think about Jesus' ministry when he was here on this earth, it says that we will do greater works than what he did. Jesus' ministry was confined to a very small region and also to a small group of people. There were not too many people that believed in Jesus when he was here on the earth. At the end of his life, all the crowds were shouting, crucify him. Even his disciples forsaked him. But what happened to the disciples when they started preaching the gospel message in Acts 2? On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 3, people were saved in one day. In one day. And after that, the church continued to grow. Throughout the book of Acts, it continued to grow in leaps and bounds. And it still continues to grow today. When the church is growing, it means more lives are being changed. Not just a temporary change, but eternal change. Change from darkness to light. And in the book of Acts, the church was scattered because of persecution. And where the people in the church go, the preaching of the gospel goes with it. The region of ministry that the church, the book of Acts had, was lots greater than the region that Jesus had. And now we can preach the gospel throughout the whole world. Lives are being changed throughout the whole world. There are thousands of churches that started since the day of Pentecost. And I think this is the power. This is the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts of the believers, in each one of us. I think this is something that is amazing to be a part of. And my desire in my own life is to continue on and challenge you to continue on being a part of that in whichever way God calls you to be or to be a part of. And there are many more purposes of the Holy Spirit that we could talk about. I, yeah, the Bible is loaded with it. He seals us. We, we can talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, but I think it's time for me to close. But as we think about the Holy Spirit, let us be careful that we do not grieve or that we do not quench the Holy Spirit by living in disobedience to the Scriptures, and by squeezing Him out like the word quench would say. Let us desire the filling that he can give us so we don't quench the Holy Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let us be faithful in serving the Lord. Let us kneel together in prayer.
if you're able.